All right, gang. I am back in studio this week and super stoked to be here. Although I got to tell you how, Katie, how did it go by so quickly? Your vacation or the week? Yes. <laughs> vacation is one of those things that there, there's a... Time happy warp. amount of time though right like you go two or three days and sometimes you're like oh that wasn't quite long enough yeah. you go, you start hitting about a week and you're like no nah, i'm good sometimes you get a little bit longer than that and you're like no nah, i'm ready to get back to civilization yeah, not, not so good. Yeah. well never that it's not good but i think we just get so used to our routines that we're okay with it being disrupted for a little bit but long term i think it's a little bit I know, harder. But you did the show without me how did it go I think it went great. great. We were all the all-female financial show with Christine and I. I see. So well, I like the alliteration of that one. <laughs> the all-female financial show. All-female financial show. See, what's going to happen is we're going to take over eventually and then have you on as a guest. Okay. <laughs> He's like, sure, that works. Yeah. Although I guarantee all the listeners would miss you because they totally love the David nerdy talk about finances. Nerd, nerd talk. All right. You want to talk nerd for a second. Let's talk nerd I'll for a second. I'll fess up to where we went, right? So the wife and I had a retreat, right? We got an escape without the kiddos and we left on, it was a Saturday night and mm -hmm. then we came back Wednesday. Uh, I will say, I'm going to give kind of a little shout out. This this occurred courtesy of the Geneva Auction. So we yeah. were there in support of our local community and a program that I think does a wonderful job educating kids. And Which, uh, by the way, my children who go there greatly appreciate your wonderful donation because <laughs> it will help out with school supplies and other things for my children. I have to say, I think that the, the, the credit for the donation probably needs to go elsewhere because somebody donated this. Uh, there was a timeshare. Right. So the interesting thing is it has to fit in the, the timing, right? Right. But it did fit in the timing, and it was one of the last items at the auction. And so we're there going, well, we had intended to participate here, but we figured somebody was going to want this thing. And so we started bidding on it, and then just nobody showed up. And so we ended up purchasing this trip to... Las Vegas. Right. So it wasn't like a raffle. He didn't win it in right. that we, respect. We, like we, he paid for we it. We purchased it. We made a donation and then we, you know, we purchased this uh, this trip. And, uh, and But let's talk about, for a second, because this is important, I think. Let's talk about cost versus value, right? For what you spent versus oh, what no, no. you got. Uh, well, that's that was sort of my, my point would be that really, uh, I, I think that Geneva, whoever donated that, donated more value than we probably paid for it. It, I mean, it was we had a great place to stay that was just a block off this the main strip, and uh, we walked a ton. So we were there for <laughs> for the time that we were there. Uh, and here's why I'm even sharing the story. This was not a story of debauchery and what happened there has to you stay there. You didn't share where you went. Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Right. So go. so so we're in Las Vegas, and there are two things that are remarkable. One, the day that we did the least walking, we did over eight and a half miles. Yeah, okay. there's just no easy way to get right. around Vegas. So, like, so you we just did walk a the lot. day we did the most walking. We did, and when I say at least, I'll explain. So at least eleven and a half miles on the big day, because uh, we're using triangulating between devices that disagree, right? So between phones that are trying to track your movement versus watches or whatever else that, and and what we know is. My my phone tends to be the one that under reports the most 
and it reported those figures. Ah. So it was at so least you know it's that much. Usually north of that, okay. Right. Because I've tested before, and you know, it'll say, oh, you took 4,000 steps. I'm like, I cannot go two and a half miles and 4,000 steps. Like, that didn't happen, right? But, or whatever the number, we knew it was outrageous. You have a big stride. You're a tall guy. It would have it's to possible. be. It's possible. It would have to be. Because I know when I did Disneyland for the day and I had on um, my Garmin, it's not a Fitbit, it's a Garmin watch. It recorded that I did over 20,000 steps that day. Oh, yeah. So I had a day where we did over 20,000 steps. And, again, it was 11 and a half. I, it, was, it was well over. It was almost 30,000 steps. That day. It was a lot of steps. That's a lot of steps because my feet were exhausted from walking that much at Disneyland. Yeah. Well, I'm a ding-a-ling, so I just <laughs> will just kind of keep putting one foot in front of the other. And You're like, not, Here we David. go. You're not. So, but by the way, it is kind of funny and ironic, right? So here's a financial guy, right, who's supposed to be really good with money, goes to Vegas. Now, did you gamble? Not a dollar. Not one dollar? Like not even, even out of no. curiosity put a quarter in a slot machine? No, nope, I didn't do a what? single. Yeah, I didn't. By the way, I knew that. I just wanted you guys to hear it out loud because it is really funny to me to go to Vegas and not gamble at all. I mean, that's like, you know, the mecca of gambling. It's true. It's not my vice, right? It, it, it's really not something that's attracted to me. And this this is probably, if we were to make this about relevant to the investor, right? Okay. When I, people will oftentimes equate investing to gambling. And I say, I, I disagree wholeheartedly. I think that investing, there's much better data to go on, and your odds are significantly better as an investor than as a gambler. And in fact, I think your odds as an investor are significantly better than the house. Right. Right. When you look at the odds that the house gets, the, the reason that the house wins as much as it does is primarily because of the structure. Right. And it's not on a single hand. It's on this amalgamation of bad behavior and the fact that they disconnect you from your money. They do all the things we warn about on this show. Right. What's the, what's the problem with a credit card? Is right? you, you don't feel it. You don't yeah, touch you, it. You so disassociate you just... with the money. So what do they do in Las Vegas? You buy chips. Right. right. Oh, candy, whatever. It's just. And you're not putting your physical money down. Yes. Yeah, so you're 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 a step removed from your money and from the value thereof. So you're just sort of playing with these pieces now. They're like game pieces. And that's one of the issues. And then the other is that oftentimes, well, the house has much deeper pockets than you. So they can afford to just sort of play and even get in the hole for a while. Well, but the gambler, they also don't play emotionally. Well, they, right? they, well the, they just play the odds. They do the same thing. It's very predictable. And their strategy is the, the high probability strategy. Even if it's only like 52 to 53% out of a 100, you know, so they, they just have a little bit better than 50-50 odds, but they will win more than they lose and they will rely on the bad behavior of the gambler. So, you know, it would be interesting to, to know the statistic of, which I don't, is how much that the tables pay out versus how much gets cashed in. Because you talked about being disconnected from the money right and i know when i've gone to vegas and i've gambled i've taken chips and stuck them in my pocket and i know other people that have come home with chips that are worth money but now they're at home and not in vegas where they can be redeemed so right. I, it'll be interesting to see how many people like statistically how much money is paid out versus how much money is actually cashed in from the casino and what the ratio is right i think people commonly forget about chips stuck in pockets in places they and then don't ever get their actual money back they probably do and it's it's funny again being disassociated people tipping with chips too and so all of a sudden you're going oh well that's a ten dollar tip you probably wouldn't normally do that but it's las vegas and everybody's just sort of 
well, it's a modified version of crazy, I think. <laughs> I mean, crazy let, was on display everywhere. <laughs> the just crazy so we're clear. is always on display yeah. in Vegas. And I'm not going to say that it wasn't fun or entertaining or any of that. Just know that, yeah, crazy is out there. And it's all like, hey, check me out. I am right here. You want to know? And, like, and it's yeah, even okay. better during the summer, right? Because there's just a oh, lot more to see. We'd be walking in there. And there were some some of that crazy is people. You know, and they're they're sort of muttering to themselves, but they're having a conversation with you to themselves. And you're like, you need to stop entering my space because this is not comfortable <laughs> uh, it's just really Aww. something so anyhow but, but yeah it was I will say the trip was a lot of fun um, it was enough time that we were we were kind of ready to come home be, just because Vegas is also it's not natural right it's it's a place that is it doesn't it's occur, fantasy it's, it doesn't occur in nature at all you know you're in the middle of the desert it's this conjured up place and you want to know one thing I will say this you know what is awful in Las Vegas? What? The water. Oh, we are yeah. so spoiled here in Oregon. We have such good oh, water. Tap, good tap water. Right. By the way. I mean, you just think, oh, people are buying bottled water, and I'm going, <laughs> that's funny, because right now, uh, the tap water probably tastes better than most of the water you can get in Vegas, even bottled water. Well, and I had that happen when I took my children down to LA, right? We were in a restaurant and we ordered a glass of ice water and they tasted it and they're like, mom, this water tastes funny. And I went, yeah, because it's LA basin water. It's not Oregon water. Like you order lemon with your ice water all the time just to mask the tap water flavor because it's not very good. Yeah. So, yep, Oregon does that. Although I, I want to say, you know, David, David and I were texting while he was gone. And uh, I said, you need to check out this retail kiosk because you'll get discounts. Totally used it, by the way. Is it worth K it? Katie for the win is a good hack, yeah. Right. So, you know, uh, like, it I'm all about. It wasn't like ultra, but even in Las Vegas, you save 20% in Vegas, and it turns out that turns into real coin pretty yeah, fast. That can turn into a few hundred dollars quickly. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's, it's you know, there's always a way to go and have fun and do it at a discount. So, that's that's kind of what I want to say for sure. But I was glad to see that you used that and hopefully saw some cool shows and did some cool things. We did. We saw some fun, and it was a whole variety you know we saw like a really big production we saw like kind of a small local production we did a dinner theater thing so uh it, it was fun to try lots of different uh things and then what what we spent the least time was lounging at the pool we were on the go it was funny because this a lot of the time we have an expression in our home we like our vacations to be a combination of go and slow Right, so that means we go somewhere. We want to do some of the experiences, but we also want to do some restful things and mix it up a little bit. And we basically did a combination of go and go faster. Uh, so <laughs> go, and then the slow was sit neat while I'm being entertained. Yeah, go and go and crash. So that's <laughs> how we did it. Uh, but it was totally worth it. Totally fun. So that one was it was great because when I look at the the sort of return on investment. That that was one of those where you say, "Hey, the experience level really high," and well, and the so, one thing it, it's self serving to me, but the one thing that I like when you take vacations is you get a chance to step out of the office and start to be think higher strategy. Like you know, I always say that David's the visionary of the company, right? He has the forecast of where it's going and what he wants the company to do and how to grow. And you come back with so many amazing ideas. So it's nice. It's good for you it to is. step out because then you come back and you're like. We're going to do this. It's like, you know, it's it's a leader that's recharged 
to lead forward again. And it's she, really. She wants a raise or something. She's just <laughs> buttering me up over here. No, but it's it's true. It gives you a chance to stop working in the business and get outside of it a little bit and, and a chance for you to look outside of it. And, and I think that's actually really important to all business owners. I think a lot of them get bogged down doing the day-to-day activities and don't get a chance to dream again. Um, about what they want to do, how they want to grow, where the company's going. And those moments are so important to business growth. I think you're right. There, there are so many things. Uh, look, so, all right, I'll just, I'll just take a hard break. So we're, we gotta, we're running long on our first segment. So why don't we just, let's grab a break. We'll come back. There's a couple things I want to uh, talk. You brought it, like the entrepreneur thing. I think it's relevant for everybody listening here. And then there's a couple, we'll get to one of them. Today's show has a purpose, right? We're going to talk a little bit about the things I wish they would have taught us in school, right? I, I love it. Let's yeah, do it. So that, but more when we come back. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. Is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240, KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Show. Host Dave Littlejohn in studio with me as always. Katie Shuck, your trusty sidekick. I love it. So uh, we're talking all kinds of uh, fun here. And if, uh, if you're just joining us, of course, there's the podcast. So feel free to plug into that one on iTunes. Just look up True Wealth uh, or the True Wealth Show, I think is what it is. But yeah, uh, not a program, by the way. It's a radio show. Yeah, a radio show. Shows are entertaining. Programs people fall asleep to. Just telling you. Oh, like if somebody ever goes, we have a program for you. Everybody goes. You know where it comes from? <laughs> where does it come from? So this comes from my DJ the days 50s. back in the day. <laughs> and what, what they talk about in, in DJ Lance. And, and keep in mind, when I think DJ, this was, I used to, this is funny to people, right? I worked in a nightclub. And it was live performance style DJing. Uh, it was not turntablism. You know, p- people have this idea like, oh, you were up there playing records. No, we were, I was the first generation of the modern day. It was not, it was before MP3 players, which is now kind of the thing now is it's all digital music and then manipulating tools, but it was still on CD, but it was CDs that mimic turntables. So you could, you can change tempo, right. everything else. You could do all kinds of fun stuff with them and a lot of cool digital effects. So it was pioneering the digital medium. Do you remember carrying around the crates of CDs? Oh my word. Well, even the, yeah, but I'm glad they weren't records because I could carry uh, a couple oh. of wheeling boxes of CDs and I could carry 2,000 CDs with me pretty easy. Right. But um, trying to do that in records, dear goodness. Oh my gosh. Okay. Uh, so, but I digress. What, what happened was what you call. The song selection throughout the evening, which was entirely discretionary, was and it was just yeah, it was programming. So you know, you have the technical skill of being able to mix as a DJ and blend songs together, and then the programming is the songs you pick. Both are essential components to a good show. Right. So when I say program, I'm kind of like, yeah, it's harkening back, and of course, uh, people are like, oh, do you still DJ? And I'm like, not since 2001, and I'm pretty rusty, let me tell you. <laughs> so uh, it's you don't even hardly listen to like modern radio. I mean, you listen to talk radio a lot. I have kids. I hear it by accident. <laughs> but I, yeah, I'm I'm, I hear it I'm by a accident. big consumer of talk radio, and I'm a big processor of information. This this was an adaptation. I uh, interestingly enough, I never had super strong musical taste. I just enjoy music and performance, and uh, 
uh, I would the say that's still true to you. Like it. you have a very eclectic. You've gone to some concerts this last year. Yeah. Um, some country, some rock. I, I know. Like, so I, I a little never bit of everything. Know. I think I'm kind of getting converted to country. I'm, I'm not going to lie. They're, they're pretty entertaining. It was fun. First, uh, Heather got me to go to a Dirks Bentley concert. And I was like, this dude, I kind of want to hang out with him. He just sounds like a cool dude to just hang out with and like would be a fun guy to chill with. Right. Right. And then. Uh, David was one of the lucky few this last weekend. And one of the lucky many, I guess. To go to U of O to Garth Brooks. Yep. We went to Garth Brooks and we had really good seats. Which we were seventh row. I kick myself in the butt now for not going because I feel like half of Roseburg was in the U of O station, like in their stadium. Oh, it was a great experience. And I mean, the energy of the crowd was fantastic. And keep in mind, I am like a, when I say a fan of Garth Brooks, it's like, yeah, he's cool. You know, you know it was. Not you knew like, some songs. He wasn't, I, I he recognize the songs, but I don't know the words to them or anything like that. I I don't I don't own his paraphernalia. I don't own his music. It's just I've heard it before, and so I'm like, all right, that's fine. But uh, great performer. It was, it was a really fun concert, and so yeah, we got these. And is it? I don't know why the section was just not very picked over. I got the tickets quite last minute. It's like three days before the show. And on discount, right? So again, making good financial decisions, still having fun in your life. Yeah. So Which, so that's the part. And it's and it's. I know it's kind of funny, and I know I keep kind of pushing that theme. But um, And you've heard me make the joke about how I couldn't afford my lifestyle if I had to pay full price for it. Like, I think yeah. that's something that, you know, people always talk about, oh, you do all these things. It's like, well, yeah, if you figured out all the different hacks and stuff that I use to save money so that I can afford to do those things. I will things. say, Katie's a savings magician. <laughs> and that, I mean, that's a fair <laughs> title for her. If we were to get her new business cards, be like, so what's your job title? It's like, savings magician. You're like, okay. Uh, Am I on Geico commercials now, too? <laughs> it's, you know, like, like you are the uh, paper queen and savings uh, <laughs> No, they just wizard. don't go together. So that's... But it's, it's just, but but to my point that you can you know people always say oh that's really expensive, well it is if you don't look for deals or you you know you pay full price for stuff which, you know I'm pretty sure Garth Brooks likes it when people pay full price for his tickets because you know he walks away with that cut but, um but there's a lot of things that kind of go on sale last minute um again people performers let's take Garth Brooks for example wants a full stadium right sure. he wants sold out seats because. That brings in the most revenue. Yeah. Well, and this so this is a business model question. I won't spend a ton of time on this, uh, or or business model concept. It was only you didn't really ask a question there, but you're you're right. Is uh, you're better off, uh, you know, liquidating seats at the last minute to make sure you get a little bit of something than a whole bunch of nothing. And by the way, that's what Expedia does for hotels. That's right. what Kayak does. I mean, there's a lot of different. Uh, you know who doesn't really do it though? Who? Airplanes. I thought you were going to say Trump Towers. <laughs> yeah. Well, air, airplanes don't no, do that. No, they don't. Airplanes, in fact, if you get down to the last few hours and you're desperate, you can expect to pay oh, just ridiculous expensive. amounts. Uh, because that's a hostage situation. At that point, what they at some point, they kind of close it off. They have their own timing scheme for when and how they price things. And at some point, they go, all right, well, look, uh, if you're six months out, you're actually going to probably pay a higher price than if you're three months out. So, by the way, my hack on that is airline tickets go on sale on Black Friday. So that is true. But airline tickets, uh, fun one is if you use some of the 
uh, providers like Kayak, for example, is a an aggregator of tickets. They don't cover everybody. Like Southwest isn't part of their system. Right. Allegiance not part of their system. Correct. But they will give you a sense of the probability as to whether or not the ticket price is going to drop. And so they track the pricing and the ticket modeling that each airline uses. And they do use uh, different models for how they price. Uh, so there's a sweet spot somewhere between uh, usually about you know maximum three, three 12 weeks but it's usually up somewhere about 12 weeks out to to not sooner than six weeks out somewhere in that window is where the right. best pricing typically occurs yeah like more than a month sometimes you can't even get well the yeah, bigger it's airlines more, it's more than a month but less than three months usually yes and and somewhere in there is going to be your sweet spot for tickets and if you push it much farther than that uh, you might get lucky because they want to uh, do a couple seat specials and see if anybody will bite at it. But otherwise, you'll reach the point of no return where all of a sudden, wait a minute, that price isn't going down anymore. And well, that- and it's also done based, from what I understand, it's also done based on seat availability, right? So if the airplane fits, like, like say, let's say 300 people, once they've sold the first 50 tickets, the price goes up. And then once they've sold the next 50, it goes up a little bit, right? So it's like the more full they become, the less availability, the higher the cost. And so they kind of, and you'll see it too. Airlines will say like, oh, four more t- seats left at this price. You know, six seats left at yeah, this price. Yeah, I don't price. know how much i buy that. But it, it, it that's, I've again, seen it make a difference in the purchase of like one or two days. I've be. actually gone back and watched it go up. But Well, right. yeah, there's there's so many things that go into it. Even uh, I, I'm suspicious about whether or not they track your IP address. No, oh, they probably do. You know, so I it's like, why it do I go to one computer optics. and I get one price? I go to a different computer and I get a different price. Like, I wonder... <laughs> so when I use my iPad, my phone, and my computer, exactly, <laughs> it's like, oh, great! I'm I'm looping them all in. They're tracking me everywhere. Ah, uh, well, we were talking about entrepreneurs. Yeah, so we're talking about a number of things. One of them is, uh, so you started with this concept of uh, how you like it when I go on vacation, which is so, so basically, Katie wants me out of the office. You just made that sound bad. I know. <laughs> let me let me rephrase that. I like it when you go on vacation once in a while, right? David will attest that if he's out of the office too much, and a lot of times visiting clients, I'm kind of like, can you come back, please? I need you. I need you to do stuff here. Please come in. <laughs> so I don't mind when you go once in a while on vacation. I do not want you gone from the office. Yeah. I want to clarify that. So this is the tyranny of the small office, right? Right. Uh, and the small office that I am excited to say has been growing, growing. at a healthy pace. Right. Uh, you know, We did just kind of achieved a couple of hurdles that are fun. Uh, and, and, uh, hurdles are like growth goals. Growth goals. Growth hurdles is much make it better. sound like it's bad. Yeah, no, growth this is growth goals. Growth is goals. like I want to hit this level in my business, and but, then you hit it, and you're like, yes. So that's awesome. let me let me kind of explain for uh, our listeners. We don't talk a ton about our business on the show because uh, it's really supposed to be an education thing. Right. But I think that there can be some value in education, just understanding how the business is built. Right. And like, yeah. like, like, why are there costs and what do they mean and what do you get for different organizations? And I can't speak for others a whole lot. I could talk a little bit about the various business models. But one of the things that you have to think about is uh, the really small provider in the investment world now is an endangered species. And why is that? Because the regulatory environment has been elevated to the point that it's getting hard to comply with everything because there's a lot of tracking that's required. So we've talked before about big conglomerates and moating, right? Like where they get so big, 
that nobody can cross the moat to get in. Um, yeah, so that's the oligarchy concept. Right. The, the moat is a barrier to entry that's just too big for a person to be able to swim across. Beat it's that. like swimming yeah, across the ocean. They're not going to make it. Yeah. And and a, a common place for that would be in pharmaceuticals. Right. When the d- development cost for drugs is in the multi-million dollars, you just don't see competition spring up out of nowhere for drug development. Right. And it's also the reason that you see a lot of acquisitions and mergers in pharma because Oftentimes, if you do get a small startup that is successful developing a pipeline drug, it's cheaper for a large player to just come in and buy the whole company to to acquire that drug than it is to try to compete with them. Right. So, again, that's this consolidation. And we can all wring our hands about how that affects the price of medicine and so forth. But that's what's going on. So when we're talking about small businesses... So small businesses, particularly in the financial industry and particularly in the advisory arena, there's a lot of documentation to make sure that you are meeting your fiduciary obligations. Right. And rules are getting stricter and stricter. There's just more and more rules yeah, to and, comply with. And they are consumer protection rules. Yeah. They're made uh, for you, yeah, although they're, they're a they're pain des- in the butt for us sometimes. They're, they're desi- <laughs> yeah. They're designed as consumer protection. They're oftentimes responsive because of other people having done Things. Bad things. And, yeah, they get on the naughty list, and so everybody has to then behave differently because of somebody that was naughty. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, the The reason I say that the smaller provider is an endangered species is because it's getting hard to comply with those things because it takes resources to do all of it. So just so you guys understand as listeners, um, and I kind of struggled with this a little bit. I've worked in different industries and coming to David, um, one of the things that is a little bit part of my background is marketing. And I remember when I first started working at Little John, I said, oh, let's do this. Let's do this. And he's like, we can't. Why? Because it's not compliant. There are so many rules in our industry that there are companies out there built to help assist with just compliance. Yeah, like I'll, if there's if there's businesses that are all based around following the rules and make sure you don't break them, that tells you how thick the rule book yeah. is. And I'll give an example. At least in theory, we know every single person that we've ever sent an email to and can tell you the date that the email was sent and the content that was in it. Right. But not just emails. Every newsletter, every piece of advertising literature that's ever gone out, we know when it went out, who was on the recipient list. In most cases, we can tell you who opened it or not. We have to track all of that. Right. And we have to maintain it for no less than five years. Right. And I think for us, it's a permanent archive. So we could probably go back to 2010 and dig all of it up. We can. But that's just because we like to be overly compliant. Because <laughs> yeah. we're uppity. Because uh, we like, you know, David likes his technology just a little bit. The, yeah, I do. But I and I started as a as a sole operator, as and many people do. And sure. when you are starting a business for yourself, right? You said, "Oh, I think I can do this on my own." You are everything. You wear every hat. Yeah, and for a little while you can, and then you realize I can't have more than a few dozen clients because it just takes additional resources to pull it off. And so there's a whole story that would go behind this, but it doesn't need to be story time about Little John Financial, just the idea that we want to grow. And we want to grow because what what happens is we reach economies of scale. Yes. As as we get larger, uh, there's- We can pass on savings to all of our clients. And and so 
the trick is growing the white right way and and we like to operate as a team rather than as individual individuals advisors, yeah and that means that uh, our you know our clients get the whole office as their resource and it's not like just your person in the office that you call every time which is awesome by the way because if david is on vacation there is still somebody that you can talk to about your account to get things done if you need something accomplished so it's not like just because you go on vacation your whole book of clients has to sit on hold true right and so working as a team is awesome that way yeah, like well, you always have somebody to kind of back you up i spent years not getting vacation because it was just me you know you, the computer and the phone followed me on vacation and my family would sort of look at me with like i had two heads like this isn't a real vacation uh, in fact the the goofiest story of all of those is uh, i can remember sitting on a beach in Kauai, and i was in the car while my family was on the beach playing because I was studying for my CFP oh, exam yeah. and I was also um, f doing some kind of feedback with clients at the same time. And I think at the time we were, you just started I was with new, me. yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it was never really off time. Now I get honest vacations because I've got great folks like Katie on the team that you know, take care of our people. Which in the beginning gave me so much anxiety when you wouldn't call and check in. I'm like, could you please call me? Just call me, just call and make sure everything's okay. Like I was not used to that. And you're like, I trust you, it's good. And I'm like, yeah, no, we got no this. call, call me. <laughs> it sounds so needy. It's not really like that, I promise. Um, I I think for me, because as a, as a boss and someone who's owned their own business, that's kind of what I did is I, when I was on vacation or somewhere else, I would just kind of check in and be like, hey, and. Um, you know, is everything okay? And if there was anything that came up, I could handle it really quickly and then it was done. Um, so it was very strange for me in the beginning. Now I'm just like, eh, if he needs anything, he'll text me. I think so, that's, to me, it's a compliment to the quality of, uh, you know, you and the rest of the team to be able to say, I trust you guys. You'll call me if you need me. I'm going to take a real vacation. I know. And, and what a relief to not have to worry about work while you're there. And, you know, we talk about true wealth moments. One thing about true wealth moments is to be ever present in that moment. Yeah, it's. I think it's pretty huge. Uh, there's something really powerful and restorative about having some time off here and there. I know it's all. It's. It sounds like a luxury to people. Like, oh, I wish I could take time off. Like, it, it doesn't have to be the vacation like exotic. It just needs to be. You need to unplug sometimes, and you need to get away so your mind can reset. Right. It's just important for your own mental health. I agree. So, look. All right. So, once again, we ran long. We better take another break. So, we'll do that when we come back. Uh, at this point, I'm not even going to commit to what we're covering on the next section because we're so far behind. <laughs> so, uh, we'll just we'll be back and we'll try to keep it interesting. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn. Hey, Katie Shook. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. This is KQEN Local Talk at 4 on News Radio 1240. KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the, the True, True Wealth, Wealth Radio, Radio Show. Show. Not a program, it's a show. Not a program. <laughs> Okay. Um, so we've been talking about entrepreneurs and all the hats they wear and growing businesses. Yeah. Why is all of this important? So why is this? Well, because we have an hour's worth of radio. No, show. David. Oh, oh, no, you mean a different question. You know what? I, I'm actually going to rephrase that. I think it's important to work with successful people because I think that successful people are doing the right things, right? And right things by their customers, hopefully, and right things as a business. 
Um, and I think our clients like to see us grow too because they like to see us be successful. Like they want us to be successful. Uh, th that that's become true. It's very interesting at different phases of life. You know, when I was in my twenties, clients wanted to see me walking the walk and doing all the things that you would expect somebody in their twenties to do, which is you know be frugal, be make good decisions and trades between now and later, and so forth. And now, you know now in my forties, what folks are looking for is, hey, are you are you practicing what you preach, and is it manifesting the way you said that it would? Right. And uh, I'm I'm pleased to say that. By and large, yes. Uh, I I make this joke often that I think people would trade for my life. I think when they from the outside looking in, if they looked at it, that they, they'd say, "I would like to trade for that. That looks like a pretty good life." Uh, I'd like to trade for your house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> uh, it's. I don't want to drive the the gas guzzler that you have parked out there. I'm okay with my car. But, it's very you know, comfortable. But but uh, a bigger house and a pool, you know, would be good. <laughs> Yeah. So here's the the thing is, although we've traded differently, we have, and I really uh, folks don't always see it, but there was a lot of sacrifice early in my career. I mean, a lot. And when yeah, I it say, took you many years to be an overnight success. Yeah, I paid <laughs> to work for the first two years of my career. Yeah. I mean, actually, like I worked nights so that I could pay for my Arizona mission insurance to work days to learn how to do the craft. And there wasn't a traditional training program that I embarked in. So I had to do a lot of self-study and a lot of homework. So that when, when you look at the history of how expertise has developed, much of it was born out of necessity. So there's a very interesting story that happens with Little John Financial Services because you have David and all the footwork that he's had to do, right? Just to start the company, just to be on his own. Like he talks about, you know, paying to work. Um, and in the infant struggle, you know, the infancy of a business, like getting through those first couple of years and acquiring enough clients to be solvent and to pay your bills. I came on part time with David because that's where you were at in the company right. and that's what you could afford. And now I'm full time and the company's growing and we've added more team members. And so um, I feel sometimes a little bit like a family, right? Like when your grandpa says, like, you don't know how tough I had it. I feel like that's kind of your story. And then I'm like the next generation going, well, my generation was a little tougher, but not as tough as his. And then like now our, our new team members, like it gets almost a little bit easier each layer of team that we add because there's less not difficulty but like you know we well, paved the, the, the way machine for is them. running yeah right. it's, it's you know you're kind of jumping on board a moving train and it, it it takes a little while to get ahead of steam right and that was so so there is a story to that but uh really the the thing is it's just following through on a lot of what we've laid out as a plan. I mean, right. folks, are, so you know, what's the plan? Why did we choose to be an independent firm as opposed to going with a bigger firm? So what what, what was important to you? You have a great story on that one. Why are we independent? Uh, so a lot of the reason that we're independent came down to the way I wanted to run the practice. And this is going to sound uh, snooty, and I need to be careful about this because it's not a shot at anybody. Uh, at anybody. But when I worked in larger, more corporate environments, the policies that were developed were so, my interpretation was that they were developed first to protect the company, then to protect the customer. And 
I saw that as a, a an unnecessary barrier. I always thought, look, if you're running an ethical practice and doing the right thing for your clients, it naturally protects what you do. So I didn't like to see policies that limited the ability to serve your customer in the name of liability management. Right. So instead, by by you know, we, I could set my own rules and, and policy because policies are oftentimes at large corporates they are they're much more aggressive than the law would require because what their their suggestion is well if the law says this then we'll go way beyond it in order to prove that we complied right oh we didn't just come we super complied with the law <laughs> and you know, okay but did you help the customer when you did it and my my answer is not always sometimes what they did was they limited the ability to serve the customer and that was my problem so I wanted to be able to serve the customer in a different fashion. And then the other is, as you've alluded to, I really believe in technology. Right. And not technology for the sake of having gadgets and bells and whistles, but I see the way technology is reshaping the financial industry. Right. And and here's what I mean by this. This is this is probably the single biggest difference. And if you're just tuning into the show, uh, some of the prior context is going to seem weird that this is coming out of nowhere. But I think it's a very critical element that every investor needs to pay attention to, and that is that the speed of information has changed the way investing occurs. Well, it's almost faster than we can handle now, it right? Like is. I mean, it started off really slow. Right. And it was all on paper and it was all in like kind of inside and and not as readily accessible to the community. Yeah. And now it's so fast, it's almost like drinking out of a fire hose. Yeah, like we, it's, you're overwhelmed used, and flooded with too much information. We literally used to have information advantages in the financial industry. So 40 years ago, uh, in the let's say in the 1980s, you may have actually found information that was available to institutions, and it wasn't that it was insider information. It's the the distribution mechanisms of you know getting it printed on paper and distributed couldn't get it out fast enough. Right. So you had competitive advantages that happened at an institutional level first, and the folks that were ahead of that information could profit. Right. Like, I, I remember somebody telling me, if you've read a stock tip in a magazine, it's already too late to take advantage of it. Oh, far too late. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean they had to print it and distribute it. Right. I mean, by then, that's old news. Right. Because now you have the internet and things like Twitter, I mean, where the news feeds are instantaneous. And in fact, more- You can see it happen to the market, though. I mean, there's moments when David's looking at the market, and all of a sudden, it starts to either dip or raise really rapidly, and you immediately pull open the news, and you're like, what just happened? Yeah, I'll look for the the flash feed, and I'll go to something like uh, Stock Twits or even just Bloomberg. They usually pop up uh, flash news that's breaking news, that kind of thing. So, and it's crazy to see how it's correlated. Well, it's not just correlated. I mean, it's it's really, I mean, it's 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 the cause, right? Right. Causation. Yeah. So, when you when you see how these things are connected, what I what I will just simply point out to people is the the amount of trading that's done by computer now. And, and driven by computerized decision making, has increased so much that it's changed the way that markets behave. Now, over the long run, I think the principles of investing are the same, but I think the strategies are different because of the speed and the way things behave now. And so I wanted the reason I sh- this whole backstory goes to you know why why Little John Financial as opposed to partnering in another firm or going to work at a you know, a large traditional uh, investment house. Well, we developed some of our own trading software. 
like our own trading analysis software. Which is super unique. Most advisors don't do that. No, and, and this is something, I started with systems trading back in 2006, uh, worked with another firm for a while, and then left that firm and ended up with the partners I'm still working with to this day, uh, based in Fort Worth, Texas, and we helped develop a uh, analysis system that looks at the markets at large, looks at individual positions, and we have been developing and refining uh, the process trading algorithms now. Yeah, for for almost ten years. And this isn't like a little John thing. This is a like other advisors across the nation use this platform. Right. So it's it's a software as a service scenario that is institutional or you know professional use only. And we, you know, so we developed this, and that's been a, a key component of how we attempt to manage risk. I mean, you know, managing risk is all relative, but I will tell you one of the things that you'll note is study after study will show that human emotion is a problem in investing. And so we were seeking a way to take the emotion out of it, well, or at least mitigate the emotional damage. Right? It's, it's really hard to fully divorce your emotions from everything, but the more that you can rely on statistically reproducible data and not on your gut or your intuition, the more consistent your results can be, even if they're wrong, because at least you can measure, well, this was why I was wrong. I better stop doing that. But if you use your emotions, it's really, well, which part of it was the wrong part? You know? so, <laughs> uh, so All of it. All so, of it was yeah, the wrong so, part. No, so. and so being independent, one of the things, I'm going to bring it back a little bit, being independent is it allowed you to pick the technology that you want to use to have the diversity of suites um, and to give more and have more accessibility to solutions for your clients. Right. I mean, we really do get to custom build it because... Being, and, yeah, the independent chooses the support tools for the client. So that's I think that's my favorite part. At the end of the day, I'm not. And by the way, I'm not I've, an employee of a company that then re represents the company to clients. We're employed by our clients, and we hire companies to help us serve them. Right. And I have had to come up with some creative solutions. Yeah, folks. we do. <laughs> so look, all right. So we're running long. Let's take our last break. We'll do that, and we'll come back. We've got a few final thoughts for our investors on. Okay, so you've got all this information. Now what? All right, stick around. We'll be right back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. we got True Wealth on News Radio 1240, KQEN. Hi, Katie. Welcome back. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Do I get to leave? I didn't think I got to leave. Well, I mean, we left for commercials. Oh, that's true. So. All right, so we've been talking about entrepreneurship, why mm -hmm. it's important, why mm -hmm. we're independent. And why are we? why do we want to grow? And why do we want to grow? And and probably that's the last you know when people say well you know you kind of throw out the uh, call us if or whatever, and uh, we have been growing and we're really we're really fortunate we're really blessed for that but we want to grow for a number of reasons it's not just because you want to get more people in the boat I don't think that's a very good idea actually yeah having more just to have more is not the point yeah um, growing with the right people that that are kind of the good the the fit in terms of the attitude that uh, you know want to take advice want to work together want to uh, grow together, those sorts. Of, those are all good. Uh, but you mentioned principles. earlier, economies of scale, right? So think of the difference between buying a candy bar in a quick stop versus buying a candy bar at Costco. Yeah. Right. So you start shopping at Costco, you get a better economies of scale, yeah. and there's something to size that helps you do that. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to the tools and resources that are needed to do the job well. Uh, you know, I tell people all the time. 
I really don't think that we are smarter than our clients. You know, and you're, Katie's like, I'm looking at him know. like, where are you going with this, it's son? Like it depend, <laughs> depends on the client. No, oh, uh, no. not at all. No, it's, it's okay. So no, like, it's like not that IQ. we're smarter. We, we don't have a higher IQ Thank than our clients. Thank you for clarifying that. Okay, but we what, know more about the industry. Correct. No, we're, we are specialized in what we do. Right. And more important than that, we have a lot more tools at our disposal to do what we do. You know, and if you think about uh, trying to fix a vehicle today they've gotten much more complex as vehicles have become computerized more and more oh and my so, gosh the little readers for the codes to find out what's wrong like your system doesn't tell you what's wrong anymore like it could be a million things right and even then if you have a code that goes off you still have to be able to sort of sub-diagnose what's going on and then verify that that is in fact the root cause and then fix it and make sure that it's accurate so there are all of these different layers that have gotten more sophisticated with time and they've added creature comforts and functionality that are novel but it is more sophisticated and therefore more moving parts to break. So I'm going to bring up something um okay. you know there's we have clients that are professionals in their industry right and they come to us because they like working with other business professionals to handle stuff that they either don't have the time to or don't want to gain the expertise in dealing with sure it. now cutting your own hair Right <laughs> now, cutting your own hair is a good example. Now, for men, that may be an easy task if you take a shaver and just buzz your head. But to physically cut your own hair and to reach in the back of your head where you can't see and try to give yourself a haircut, can you do it? Sure, you yeah, can do can it. Can you do it? Should you do it? Yeah, uh, should you do it? Mm, maybe not. And sometimes I feel like investing is like that. It's not whether or not you can do it, it's whether or not you should do it, right? Like, do you have enough expertise to give yourself a complete style, or are you using a buzz cut on everything? Right, and I, I, I invariably get down to this. We all make trade-offs in our life. The reason that I insist, it's not that we are higher IQ than our clients. I mean, I think we have some really bright I don't know, I, my IQ is pretty high. Yeah, except, <laughs> you know, kidding. so we might not be as smart as Katie, <laughs> but, uh, I did actually for, test pretty but, but for, every, for everybody else, right? So for the rest of us, uh, it's not that, you know, I, it's, you have only so many hours in a day. True. And ultimately, if you've got only so many hours in a day, you have to decide where you're going to put them and where is your passion and where is it that you want to place that time. So if you love doing it, then do it, right? There are great resources and I'm, I'm gonna say it's within your reach. But if you don't love doing it or if you just can't get to it, then that's where the trusted person comes in. And this is where I don't care what kind of robo advice is out there or low cost platform or this, that, and the other. If it's reliant upon you to pull the trigger and you can't get to it, then you're no better off. It's like, hey, I could get my oil changed and I still don't do it. Then you have a bandwidth issue. Yeah. So yeah, mine actually has like a digital, yours probably does too, where it has a percentage, right? And yeah. it says like, oh, your oil's at 50%, your oil's at 20%. Like, you know, when it starts getting low, you're supposed to change it. Okay, if you're driving around and it's been zero for a while, your car's gonna break. And the one thing, translating that back to money and retirement, I don't want my retirement to be broken because I didn't change my financial oil. Like I wanna make sure that everything is working well in my retirement. But in order to do that, I have to maintain my relationship with it the whole entire time. Yeah. So that's my two, that's my two cents. Well, 
And look, she timed it perfect. There's the music. <laughs> so there you go. Get your financial oil changed. Whatever that means. <laughs> and if you're unclear, then you call us at... 541-375-0898. All right. So you heard it here first, but you won't hear it here last, I'm sure. Uh, thanks, as always, for tuning in. Katie, thank you also. Thank you for having me. Until next time, gang, this has been David Littlejohn. I'm Katie Shuck. And you've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.